Hello, I'm Pastor George, and this is another episode of the Presbyterian Reformed Churchman. I'm here with a friend, a guest, a, a gentleman I met on Twitter, and we've developed a friendship. I've had him on some of my other podcasts. It's, his name is Dr. Matthew Lee. Uh, we'll call him Matt for this call, but uh, Matt or Dr. Lee is the director of research for ACSI. ACSI is the Association of Christian Schools International. And so if your child goes to a Christian school in this country, they are probably accredited through ACSI. And you've heard of their accreditations and great resources. And so uh, I wanted to have him on. He's a young ruling elder. He's a smart guy, smarter than me. And uh, we, there's a lot to talk about because he really loves Reformed theology and the PCA. And so Matt, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us where you're from Tell us about your family. Tell us what church you serve at. Yeah, George, hey, good to see you, and thanks for having me back on. And uh, um, so I guess uh, start with who am I? Uh, you introduced me, uh, Director of Research at ACSI. Uh, I've worked in education all my professional life, I guess. After graduating, I, I became a teacher, was a teacher for a few years, and then went off to grad school, uh, became interested in studying uh, education policy and school choice, and uh, through my graduate studies, became more interested in um, faith-based education because I think uh, as as I studied it more and more, it became uh, clear to me that it's it's uh, difficult to separate the two, and uh, just important to raise up your kids in in a biblical worldview and things like that. And that's how I ended up with uh, my current role, as you mentioned, the director of research at the Association of Christian Schools International, where I'm uh, currently serving. So. Um, mostly grew up in the Northeast. Uh, my dad was uh, a Presbyterian minister. He served in the OPC and the PCA for many years and uh, now live with my family in uh, Northwest Arkansas, Fayetteville, uh, where I serve as a ruling elder at Covenant Church, which is a, a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Great. Yes. And, and so really, I don't know, we interacted on Twitter I don't remember why or, or on what. And then when I saw that you worked for ACSI, I was intrigued because, uh, as you know, but our listeners don't, I was a, a teacher for a number of years, and I was an ACSI certified teacher. I was also an engineer before that, and so there was another connection there because I do like statistics very much, and you are a statistician, a researcher, and so that was somehow that, that friendship uh, developed. Um, so I, how long... How long have you been uh, with ACSI? Uh, just about a, a year and a half, or uh, about two years now, depending on how you're how you're counting. I was doing some uh, freelance work for them while I was still finishing up grad school. So, depending on how you're counting, I've been with them for about two years now. Okay, uh, wow, that's shorter than I thought. But you've been prolific, and we uh, for for any listeners here, I have another podcast with a friend of mine, teaching elder Darren Stone, where we had a pretty long episode with with Matthew on where he talked all about his research. And so you can go there because it's, it's fascinating stuff. He, he did a lot with uh, school choice. And so helping parents be able to afford and make the right choices for them. And so the, those studies have been used uh, in the government, but also uh, believe it or not on Sabbath keeping. And we'll talk about the Sabbath a little later. And so Matthew has a real heart for the Sabbath. And so he was able to do a, a study of ACSI teachers around the country on on their views on the Sabbath and how they keep the Sabbath, and so a lot of a lot of cool intersections there. So, how long have you been a ruling elder? Yep. So I was uh, first ordained uh, as a ruling elder in uh, the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, actually the OPC, 
at the uh, ripe old age of 26. So been uh, elderly for quite some time, which is wow. you know, kind of funny to think about. So I'm uh, uh, 33 now, you know, not, not that much older, but I've uh, been a ruling elder for about seven, eight years now. And uh, yeah, served, have served on, on two different sessions now, one of, one of the OPC and one of the PCA. Wow. Wow. That's that's longer than a lot of ruling elders already, but you are younger than a lot of ruling elders. Yeah, I think uh, I'm below the median for sure. Yeah. Certainly not so the, the youngest ever have been a, an elder of any kind, but uh, you know, no, that's certainly for sure. below the, the median. Yeah. Yes. So how, when did you make the, the shift and, and, and why go from the OPC to the PCA? How did that work? Out. Yeah, so I, I think you know again uh, based on my my childhood and, and my my dad um, grew up as a Reformed Presbyterian for as as long as I I can remember, and so I I knew that uh, I wanted to find a Reformed church. And uh, when we were uh, my wife and I got married, we were teaching on on Cape Cod in Massachusetts. Um, the only Reformed Presbyterian church around was an OPC congregation, uh, and of course I had some history with it, so I, I knew that that was a, a good place to land and uh, somewhere that I, I could be comfortable. Uh, and then when I went off to grad school, um, you know, school choice is kind of a, it's become a partisan issue. It doesn't have to be, but it's become a very partisan issue. And so there weren't a lot of graduate programs that were uh, interested in, or open to uh, studying school choice as a policy issue, except, uh, you know, this great program down here in, uh, at the University of Arkansas in Fayetteville. Uh, where they've they've uh, assembled this uh, terrific faculty, uh, a lot of whom have have done a lot of their um, really important uh, career work in in the field of school choice, and so it was uh, a great place for us to end up. Um, not only as a family, we love the area, but uh, you know, for me and my my studies, and uh, this area is the opposite problem. We don't have uh, OPCs in this area, so we ended up finding uh, a good confessional PCA, and uh, we're very glad to be members here. Great. And so uh, who are the pastors there? Uh, uh, two pastors. We've got a senior pa Actually, we've got a few pastors that, that have come through. But our senior pastor is Paul, uh, Paul Sagan. And our associate pastor is Jay Bruce, who's also a professor at John Brown University. Okay. And how long, uh, how did the whole process work out for you to be a ruling elder there? Did you walk in and say, hey, I'm an RE? <laughs> or did, you, like, did they kind of figure it out? How did that how'd that go down? And, yeah. and also, like, I really didn't even kind of say, like, th that's some of what we want to focus on today is just being a younger elder, <laughs> a younger, older, uh, a, a younger elder in the church, because that's another thing we have in common. I am no longer young or younger, but I was a, a ruling elder, uh, I guess, at 35, which is still on the younger side. You know, I think anything under 40 is, uh, is really a test a testament testimony to the sessions desire and um, heart for the church of Jesus Christ to want to pass that on, to not want to hold that uh, office in such a way so that, you know, nobody else can kind of come in because they, it's, it's a protected sort of class and that's not what a church session is. So uh, I also love from what I've seen, just bits and pieces. You seem to have a great relationship with, with uh, Paul and, um, See, so, yeah, I want I want to know about that. How did you? Because again, that's that's my experience. I had a, a a pastor mentor me into becoming an elder when he recognized certain gifts and, and stuff. Uh, yeah, so I, I did listeners. I did not show up at yeah. Covenant and start announcing to to folks that I had already been uh, ordained <laughs> as a ruling elder. Um, but um, yeah, I, I think we got plugged in pretty quickly, and uh, they actually had me start teaching a Sunday school class. Um, 
uh, I, I don't remember if it was my first year here or my second year here, but um, I remember one of the ruling elders was, uh, he had on his heart to, to teach about uh, the minor prophets uh, and go through that as a, as, a, as a Sunday school class. And actually, I had just finished teaching a, a Sunday school class on the major uh, major and minor prophets up in Massachusetts, uh, where we moved from. And so I, I emailed him and I said, hey, here's some you know, notes I took as I was uh, doing my preparations for that class, and I, you know, it's it's a good way to get voluntold to do something. I think, uh, and uh, he saw those notes, and he was like, "All right, uh, I'm I'm done teaching the class. How about you take over the class?" Uh, and so that was um, one of the ways for me to to, to start, um, you know, getting getting up in front of people and, and teaching, and and uh, you know, people could see uh, my my spiritual gifts in in teaching and and standing in front of people and and uh, you know, making things clear for them and. Uh, I think some of the, uh, the 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 members on the session had pieced together that I served as a, a ruling elder. I don't remember exactly where the uh, the leak came from because I was actually looking forward to uh, not being a ruling elder for some time. You know, I was thinking, "Hey, I, I'm a, I'm in graduate school. You know, I, I we don't know how long we're going to be here in Fayetteville. Probably just uh, the, the the short period of time that I'm I'm doing grad school, and then we're going to have to end up moving on to where uh, where a job opens up. And so I, I figured that's that's not necessarily who you want to be serving as a ruling elder. You want uh, a sense of, of longevity and uh, rootedness with the church. I think uh, the first episode that you had with uh, your ruling elder actually was talking about how uh, ruling elders really outlast teaching elders in, in a lot of congregations. And that's a really important uh, function for ruling elder, elders to serve that continuity to make sure that there's um, you know a, a good line of succession that you're you're moving on from a solid faithful uh, confessional pastor uh, to the next guy and and it's it's really the ruling elders that do that and so um, I I had in mind that we were probably not uh, going to stay in faithful that long uh, and that it was probably therefore uh, not uh, my calling to serve as a ruling elder here. Uh, but you know, people saw me teaching, and, and the ruling elders picked it up. And I think when the ruling elders picked it up, actually one time they they had me fill in for another ruling elder for serving communion, and that's kind of that that let the cat out of the bag, really, where you know people saw that happen, and it was uh, you know, people can piece that together. And um, they've got this really great process for um, ruling elder nominations, officer nominations in general here at Covenant Church, uh, where um, they'll they'll open it up for nominations and, and any member in good standing can uh, approach uh, a man that they believe is, is qualified and would be uh, a, a good fit to serve as a ruling elder or as a deacon, uh, and then to, to nominate them. And then the, the session would go through a vetting process. Uh, there's a, a period of training and things like that. Uh, and then an election, you know, I think really following the Acts model of, of choose from among yourselves, men who you believe would be uh, good to serve in these capacities. And so um, got, got, got a nomination, uh, again, first or second year here. And I, I thought, yeah, I, I need to decline this because we're not going to be here that long. And, you know, it was a couple years consecutively that I, I was put forward, uh, as someone that, um, that they wanted to serve and, uh, that they wanted to serve for the congregation. And at that point, uh, you know, we really started to listen, uh, to say, that, Hey, this is, um, not just, uh, about, me or my family or how, how long we're going to be here. These are uh, the members of, of this church saying that this is uh, something that they would like for me to do. And uh, probably probably as uh, Acts goes, God speaking through uh, the members of Covenant Church to say that. And so, um, you know, my, my wife also wanted a break from me being a ruling elder. It can be uh, burdensome <laughs> for, for wives as, as, as well with, uh, you know, long session meetings or traveling to Presbyterian, things like that. But uh, after we had our first child, she was like, you know, I, th I think I, I'm 
I'm at peace with the idea of you serving as a ruling elder here. And, uh, you know, after that happened, when, when I got a nomination, I, I decided to accept it preferably that time was put forward and uh, uh, duly elected. So I've uh, been serving here at Covenant Church as a ruling elder now for about three years now, I think. So Yeah, well, I love that. I love how you try to discern the internal call and consider the cost and your family situation. And that's, you know, so for younger guys that, uh, you know, if you're on the radar of your session or your church, these are good things to think through. I also love how you had your plans and God had his plans. And so, you know, you thought you wouldn't be there very long and, and, and you're still there and you're able to work from there in in your field, which is really kind of phenomenal. There's probably not, for, for a person who has such a heart for education and Christian education and raising up Christian covenant kids in, in the fear and admission of the Lord, like what better place could you possibly work than, than ACSI if not in a directly in a school, right? Yeah, as, as much as I'd perfect. like to uh, take credit for um, planning very carefully to make sure that that came about, it was definitely... <laughs> Um, you know, God, God moving providentially uh, behind the scenes to bring it about. I, I actually was planning on continuing uh, with my, my dissertation for another year or so uh, when I first got contacted by uh, my current supervisor at ACSI to say, hey, would you be interested in coming over here? Uh, and it was really uh, in the middle of COVID that you know, things kind of went sideways. My dissertation was shaping up to be more about uh, field trips and and civics education and things like that. And when COVID hit, it was like no schools were doing field trips anymore. Uh, and so there was there was really no way to to study that. And so I had to pivot. And and well, if I'm not going to study this as an intervention, I'm I'm most interested in looking at character formation still and and uh, faith formation and things like that. Uh, and so it was really uh, yeah. I, I got to give full credit to God as as. I should in all things, but it was it was so evident here that he was moving behind the scenes to make this work because I wasn't looking for the job. I had other plans, and yet uh, he kind of made these things happen in the middle of COVID uh, when we were uh, actually just just after we had our second second child um, to to make this happen. And um, you know, ACSI was uh, a company that was already mostly remote work even before COVID. I know a lot of uh, companies kicked in with that during COVID, but. Um, the opportunity to stay um, here in Fayetteville, where we'd kind of uh, we, we'd felt a little bit more settled down, and we'd really uh, in, enjoyed the community and uh, fell in love with this church. And so, the opportunity to stay put for a while and uh, to, to to deepen our roots and to to serve in a in a single single church for for a longer period of time, those were all really attractive things to us. So, um, again, you know, giving full full honor and glory to God where it's due for uh, moving providentially behind the scenes to, to make this thing kind of work. Right. Yes. Amen. So really you were dis- yeah, your, your giftings were discovered first in the OPC and while you were in your, when you were in your twenties. And so let's go back there. And for, for listeners who don't know, um, you know, the OPC, the Orthodox Presbyterian church and the PCA Presbyterian church in America, uh, obviously two different denominations with, uh, with a, a relationship, I mean, uh, we're a part of NAPARC, uh, National Association of Presbyterian Reformed Churches, I would guess. Is, is that what? National, I, I believe that's right, yeah. Yeah. So uh, what's nice about NAPARC is it aligns... No, uh, North America or, Presbyterian and Reformed Council, I think, actually. <laughs> okay. There you go. I... I 
I didn't look it up beforehand. And uh, yeah, because uh, there, okay. there's some NAPOC denominations that are based in Canada, so it's it's actually more than just national. So yes, North, okay. North America. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. I'm glad you looked that up. Um, and so I learned from a ruling elder. That's beautiful. So uh, <laughs> so the ARP is a part of a part of NAPARC, the OPC, the PCA. There, there's a number of churches, uh, RPCNA also. URC. PCA's, what's that? URC. URC, right. PCA is the largest, um, but we have great relationships within NAPARC. There's no governmental structure that governs us all, but what it, I think it is is it's a it's a an affiliation that allows us to say we agree with these other Presbyterian denominations theologically, and yet we have some different traditions and uh, views of views on worship and and certain, but within a Reformed Westminsterian co uh, context still. And so, um, anyway, so you 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 were in the OPC first, and they uh, that's where really your gifts and your calling was discovered solidified how did that play out how, how you were attending there and what happened yeah i think um kind of similar with how it happened here at covenant church just um they, they knew i was a teacher and so they decided hey let's let's test and see if this is more than just a, a vocational call but there's a spiritual gifting here as well and um you know how, how does he do with teaching through uh surveys of, of bible uh books of the bible how does he do with teaching through um, topics in, in theology and things like that. And so there were actually uh, a lot of uh, really tough Sunday school teaching assignments uh, that I had my, it was about six years uh, up in Massachusetts uh, at, at that OPC. And so, um, you know, straight out of college, no no theological training, no seminary training or, or anything like that. It was really um, through teaching Sunday school that I got a lot of my theological training. And so uh, a, a, a survey course through the major and minor prophets in uh, in 13 weeks. That was a pretty tough assignment. Wow. Uh, yeah, they were they were on a pretty strict quarterly schedule to to get through these uh, these topics. Uh, went through a couple of uh, Anthony Hokema's books um, on uh, uh, anthropology created in his image, I think, and uh, eschatology, uh, the Bible in the future, I think is the name of that book. And you know, those were some pretty challenging books too. And uh, you know, the pastor up there had. Uh, great love of the Puritans, and so you know, I, I dabbled in the Puritans before, but that was where I think my um, my my love and affection for the Puritans really came aflame. Uh, so not only hearing him teach through some of the Puritan books, but having a chance to uh, teach through some of those as well, and and to just start reading uh, voraciously uh, on these things, and um, I think it was really the uh, opportunities to teach uh, that people began to see my giftings, and that's that's when uh, the call came in to, to serve as a ruling elder there. Um, so you know, being a teacher there, I, kind kind of similar with with Covenant Church once again that um, we uh, we knew that being a teacher, you kind of had to go back to graduate school at some point if you were going to stay in in the field of education, um, and so we knew that. Our time there was probably uh, temporary as well, and so uh, one of the things that was on my my heart as I really considered that was how long are we going to be here? What's what's next? Um, I actually had strongly considered um, vocational ministry as well, and going to seminary and getting getting my MDiv and doing something like that too, and um, you know just having conversations with my my wife about you know I don't I don't think that's where we're called to do, and um, I think it's uh, Spurgeon that said. Only go into ministry if there's 
nothing else that you can do. And so after having <laughs> a conversation with my wife, it was like, well, there are other things that you can do in this life. You know, priesthood of believers, uh, we can take secular calls and, and um, do them uh, as unto God and, and do them for his glory. And, and, and uh, uh, there's, there's a spiritual element to serving that way. So, um, I th yeah, again, just getting back to your question, I think uh, really the the, the teaching opportunities, uh, which I guess for any listeners on, on this podcast, I would definitely encourage uh, to take advantage of those, not only if you're thinking about serving as an officer, uh, as a way to, to test your gifts, but really as a way to um, deepen your understanding of theology and to, to grow that way. Because uh, there's, uh, as, as you probably remember from being a teacher, and, and you're still a teacher in, in, in uh, you know, the, the purest sense of that word, there's no better way to learn something than to teach through it. And so to embrace those opportunities as, as difficult as they might be, as, as little training as you might feel you might have, to, to embrace those opportunities to not only test your gifts, but to, uh, to grow in maturity and, and uh, in understanding of, of theology. Yes, absolutely. Man, I remember the first opportunity I had to teach was a Wednesday night. We, we had Wednesday night supper at that church, uh, St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church in South Florida. And... Uh, I think it was probably a hundred people and it was my first time teaching <laughs> and it was, it, it wasn't like I, I took, I think we had split up some lessons on the apostles creed, I believe between guys that they were discipling, but also some of the pastors and ruling elders there. And so that was, it's amazing how it's like imprinted on my mind. So definitely. So what, what was that pastor's name at that OPC church? Is he still there? Yeah, James LaBelle, he's still there. Yeah, one of the best preachers that I've ever had the, the privilege of sitting under. Well, there you go. Good man. Thank you, James. And, uh, well, you know, I, lo I love the, the trying to discern the calling conversation that you, you were having because, you know, as you know, I was a ruling elder before I was a teaching elder, and I, for about 10 years, battled that tension. And so definitely was like in seminary taking classes. But as a ruling elder, I just had to keep, saying, Lord, are you calling me into full-time ministry or, you know, do you like me being, um, you know, somewhat of a tent maker? And I think the PCA, you know, in the parity of elders, teaching elders and ruling elders, shepherding a church together, being on a session with the same vote really enables guys to serve outside the church, work outside the church and serve within the church and have the same dignity and calling, um, but just not at a full-time, you know, full-time capacity. And that's part of my heart for this podcast is to just highlight some of the great ministries that ruling elders have and the unique challenges, you know, you have how many do you have two kids or three? We've got three kids. Yeah, you just had one recently, right? Yeah, that's right. How, how's that you sleeping? Okay. Oh yeah, we're sleeping pretty well. He's a pretty mild-tempered kid, and uh, you know, just a blessing and a joy to have him. And yeah, he he sleeps pretty well. Of course, you know, the the brunt of the the middle of the night calls falls on mom in terms of uh, breastfeeding and things like that. But, <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, we're getting good sleep. Good, good. But yeah, I remember that journey very much, and and was very. I finally thought I had settled on. I don't think the Lord is calling me in t to be a teaching elder, but. Uh, because I can serve really well as a ruling elder, I get to teach, I get to help lead. I was on 
uh, our administrative committee at the church, which helped oversee staff and policies. And that was, you know, as an engineer, that was, uh, you know, within my wheelhouse. Got involved in a lot of shepherding situations, but was able to work and bring money in from outside the church. You know, like I, I, there's always there's this sense like if you're just, you're if you're on fire for the Lord and you you know the word like this guy should be a pastor and uh, you know full time ministry and that's not necessarily the case. And I think the PCA is is um, really provides the environment for for men who are called to ministry to do what they do best in the world. And also then be a witness in the world and, and then use their gifts in leadership roles in the church. And I think uh, that, you know, the Lord pulled me in. It took 10 years, you know, <laughs> it wasn't, it was like, okay, I, I get what you're trying to do. But uh, so, so I appreciate that. And what I found in the, well, I came on staff full time at a church in 2015. So that's seven years now. Um, my interactions in the world have gotten less and less. And, you know, my focus is so much on the sheep and the shepherding and the teaching ministry and the discipleship. And, and I believe that's where I'm called to. But, like, I have less interact. I have to be more intentional about my interactions in the world. You know, of course, I go shopping and I go to, you know, I go to places where I'm seeing the same people and going to the same diners, having the same waitresses and seeing the same cashiers. And I try to uh, be a witness in that way. But my my daily life is spent within the walls of the church. And so it's just, it's great that you had thought through that. And even though you're working for a Christian organization, you're getting to interface uh, in much broader ways. Yeah, uh, I love to talk to you know, peers, peers my age, or maybe guys that are younger coming out of college, maybe they did RUF or something like that. And they're like, Hey, I want to, I want to do go into ministry because I love the, uh, the relational aspect of it, meeting with guys one-on-one -on -one and praying for them, Bible studies, uh, I love studying theology and things like that. And it's it's always a really um, helpful conversation, I think, I, I hope for them, but always for me as well, um, to, just to, to walk through. I think, the, like you said, the beauty of biblical Presbyterianism is there are so many opportunities to serve your church and to serve it well without necessarily going into to vocational ministry. And so, you know, some of these young guys at our church, uh, godly young men who have recently been elected as, as deacons and things like that, now having an opportunity to uh, really dig deep and and and, uh, and uh, serve the church in in uh, a lot more committed ways um, are, I think, embracing the idea of hey, I don't have to go into vocational ministry in order to be in ministry. I can still, as you know, a, a, a humble layman in the church. Uh, and I think that's what this podcast is all about, right? Pres Presbyterian and Reformed Churchmen is um, I, I can I can serve my church in, in so many ways that are that are meaningful, uh, that bring honor honor and glory to God, but that are also fulfilling for me and gratifying for me. Um, I can be relational. I can I can be meeting with guys one on one while I'm still you know a teacher or an engineer or you know whatever uh, work that God has me in in in, in the workplace. Um, but to, to be able to serve. In uh, in the church in these robust ways, I think is um, I think one of the beauties of Presbyterianism. Yeah, wow, great points. So you mentioned a love for the Puritans, and what would you, what would be some one or two works of the Puritans that you would recommend a younger person to read? They're not always easy to read. They um they often have a very high theology. I mean that's you know it's so what would what would be a great intro book to a young ruling elder or young man in their 20s or 30s to, to introduce them to the Puritans? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. Um, but I also, I also want to push back and kind of 
dispel the notion of the Puritans being hard to read. Okay. I mean, they're, they're guys like Owen, I think, you know, can be pretty difficult and, and things like that. But um, I think a lot of them are, are very approachable and very, very readable. Um, you know, I think it's Banner of Truth that does a great job putting out the, the Puritan paperbacks, and they find uh, these really rich and meaningful uh, Puritan works that are at the same time, I think, very, very easy to read and very, very approachable. So, um, you know, some of my favorite Puritans, say Thomas Goodwin is one. Um, really loved his work, uh, Christ Set Forth and uh, The Heart of Christ in Heaven Toward Sinners on Earth. Um, I, I think there's a, a, a book that was published recently that kind of riffs off of uh, the, the latter book there. Um, the Gentle and Lowly, is it? Uh, Ortland, I think. Um, yeah. So yeah, Goodwin, I think, is, is really approachable. Uh, I really like John Flavel, um, his work, Keeping the Heart on... Um, uh, the heart is uh, deceitful above all things, and, and what it means to, uh, to to guard the heart against to, to keep the heart against uh, you know the the, the the temptations that the world would would pull it in is uh, is a great book. Uh, Richard Sibbs is a is a great Puritan to read. Uh, the, the Bruised Reed is a classic, of course. Um, you know, I think that's that's a must read for for any any believer, let alone a, a ruling elder. Um, but I think my, my favorite Sibs book might be the, uh, the love of Christ, which is on, uh, a few of his sermons on, uh, the song of Solomon. So yeah, just, uh, start dabbling in them. And I think there are good resources out there and, and good publishers that are, uh, making these things, uh, available and, and, and they come in, uh, the, the Puritan paperbacks at least come in these, uh, bite-sized packages that you can really dig into. So, yeah. um, yeah, Not as challenging and, and more approachable than I think they're they're reputed to be. Well, because some of the more popular ones, I mean, Edwards isn't always easy to read. Edwards Owen, is Owen yeah. is not easy to read. Um, I, I mean, I I take it for granted because I've had to, you know, you get a you, you get an MDiv, you do a lot of reading, so you get used to it. But I've been told. But you're absolutely right. So many of them are very approachable, and not only that, I, I'm always amazed. Written hundreds of years ago, how they have a better way of speaking to the heart of people mm -hmm. today than most common consumption books made for Christians yeah, I mean, today. They, they, they were pastors first and foremost, right? So they're, they're speaking yeah. to their, their congregate, uh, congreg congregants. They're speaking to their flock in a very pastoral way. And I think that that's always going to come out uh, in, a, in, a, in an approachable and, and um, just, just the way that's easy for uh, the, the lay person understands. So yeah, I think thanks so. for those recommendations. Are great. I'm going to go back and listen and add them to this uh, this year's reading list because um, there's always there's too much to read and not enough time. <laughs> so those are some good ones. Thank you for that. Uh, I, t before we kind of switch gears, uh, we've talked about teaching. We've talked about calling. We've talked about. Uh, personal devotion, maybe through the pur reading Puritans, uh, not much. I mean, we're going to get to things like the Sabbath. But what? How do you? How have you viewed your shepherding responsibilities uh, as a ruling elder, particularly when you were in your twenties, and even now when you're in your your thirties? I mean, you you have to, you know, you have a congregation that you're going to give an account for, uh, and they're older than you, <laughs> and they have different life experiences <laughs> than you, you know. And so, how does how have you had to work through that? What are some lessons you may have learned through it? And yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think there've definitely been some challenges along that, uh, along that road. People are resistant to the idea of, of being shepherded by uh, a younger guy or even younger guys that are resistant to the idea of having, you know, someone so young. Um, mm -hmm. And there are definitely, I would say, 
points that I look back on and think, you know, I, I could have handled that that differently. Mm. You know, I think part of the nature of being uh, being young is being maybe a little bit more hot tempered and maybe <laughs> me more so than others. And I think uh, there there are definitely ways in which I look back and I say I I, I should have handled that differently. Uh, and so there's there's always growth, right? There's always um, be, uh, learning to be more uh, more pastoral and more comforting and more shepherding in your approach to these things. Um, and I think um, learning to exercise patience, of course, being a parent now is teaching me uh, uh, um, what it means to exercise patience in, in a far deeper and, and richer and more strained, perhaps, way uh, than I'd, I'd ever realized before. Uh, learning to be more gentle um, and compassionate um, and... And I think also just uh, approaching it prayerfully, right? Uh, the, if you pray, pray for people, you can't help but love them. And uh, you, you find not only your heart being softened, but God probably working through those prayers to soften their hearts as well, to be receptive to those things. Um, you know, fortunately, I think we've, we've also been blessed with uh, really wonderful uh, members, both in Massachusetts and down here, that uh, for the most part aren't, aren't resistant to that idea. And they, they love uh, just uh, having relationships, you know, people... That's one of the things that that people love about church, and uh, I think of like Psalm Psalm sixteen. Uh, I, I I love your your uh, the, the saints in the land because they're the excellent ones, and I think cultivating this idea that our brothers and sisters in Christ are are really uh, the excellent ones that we we delight to spend time with and fellowship with uh, are all ways in which you can uh, walk alongside folks and 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 develop these uh, meaningful uh, relationships with them. So. Um, you know, there's, there's definitely growth involved and I'm still growing in those ways, but there's also, um, I think, uh, th those th things that I've picked up in terms of just exercising patience and, and compassion and, and, uh, again, praying for them is, is, is really the big one. I can echo everything you said, man. I have, uh, I've learned a lot. I'm surprised at how much I didn't know when I thought I knew, <laughs> you know, yeah, I had a lot of good ruling elders older, wiser men help, help me in that regard. You know, again, engineer, corporate background, I can be kind of, well, this is the solution. This is the way, this is what's right, you know, and, and those are probably the case, but how you work with somebody in love, a brother or sister in Christ to help understand why they're acting a certain way or feeling a certain way, and then show them, uh, what the Lord says and love them through that is, is it, there's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. And so, yeah, I've, I've made my mistakes there too. Well, you said something about uh parody of elders that I wanted to kind of pick up on. Yeah, go for it. Go. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, another uh, really beautiful thing about Presbyterianism is that it's not uh, so much a cult of personality where it's um, celebrity pastor or something like that, but you have uh, a, a session of men who are, are called to, uh, contend with each other and debate with each other, and um, and and God works through that. And I think that's that's one of the uh, the amazing things about Presbyterianism. Um, I think it's also one of the uh, challenging things. You, you know, mentioned um, we talked about my being ordained at, at 26, and and still one of the younger guys at 33. Always been the youngest elder on any session that I've served on. And I think also for me, culturally, given my upbringing, um, you know. As, as a, a Korean American, Confucianism has a lot of influence on Korean culture, mm. uh, and and um, it's 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 basically immoral in Korean culture to to challenge someone who's older than you. <laughs> and so that was always one of the things for me. It's like, I, hey, I'm the youngest guy here. I shouldn't be speaking up. I shouldn't be 
uh, challenging other people. I shouldn't be contradicting, you know, what another ruling elder or a teaching elder says. I should have a you know, high regard for these guys. But I think uh, what makes Presbyterianism work and the way in which you do express high regard for your brothers uh, that are on the court is 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 precisely uh, the opposite of how I was raised. Perhaps it, it is by contending with them. It is by uh, debating with them that you know you, you never know what you're saying that some other guy's going to pick up on and, and have a different thought. And uh, it's that through that course of of conversation that um, God God works through the the, the wisdom of the men uh, around the table to. Um, continue to govern and shepherd his church. Um, you know, uh, uh, when you first reached out about this call, uh, one of the things I was thinking about was uh, there was a moment a couple of years ago where um, I I had the opportunity to speak up and say something it was on the tip of my tongue, but I kind of held back because of, of that. Um, I, I don't think it's, it's unique to me that kind of natural tendency to uh, withdraw and, and not speak up and not challenge others and, and not be, you know, negative connotation, but confrontational kind of. Uh, and it was the next day that I was going through my Bible reading. I was reading uh, Job 32, uh, where Elihu, who I think based on this passage was probably present for the entire book of Job, but being one of the younger guys, doesn't speak up until towards the end of the book. And he says, mm -hmm. I am young in years and you are aged. Therefore, I was timid and afraid to declare my opinion to you. I said, let day speak and many years teach wisdom. Uh, but it is the spirit and man, the breath of the almighty that makes him understand. It is not the old who are wise, nor the aged who understand what is right. Therefore, I say, listen to me. Let me also declare my opinion. And uh, I was uh, I was actually a day behind in my Bible reading. <laughs> so I, I, I think back on that um, and, and think what would have happened if I had had kept up with my Bible reading and, you know, perhaps uh, read through that passage before that, that meeting. But, um, you know, having guys like, like Paul that we've talked about on, on, on uh, this episode, uh, older guys on the session to say, hey, yeah, you need to speak up. You're, you're here to speak. Uh, we need your voice in the room. And it's not, uh, it's not loving to hold your thought back and to speak later or to speak behind closed doors or to speak behind someone's back or something like that. The most loving thing you could do um, even if it might seem confrontational is to um, put your thoughts out there and, and to challenge each other because it's by uh, challenging and contending and, and uh, striving with each other that we actually um, uh, exercise wisdom and discernment and, 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 and shepherd uh, the, the flock properly. So um, I, my wife's really encouraging in that regard too. Uh, whenever I get back from a presbytery meeting she's, or you know a session meeting or something like that, she's like, did you just sit on your butt and do nothing? Or did you actually, you know, speak up? Because I've got three kids at home. Like if you're, if you're just going to show up and be, uh, you know, uh, 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 um, not speak up and, and not do anything useful, then you might as well just stay home and help me. But if you're going to go out there, I, I, you, you need to, it, it, your office calls you to speak up and, and contend with each other. And so, uh, I think, um, Going against my my maybe my my upbringing or my cultural sensibilities or maybe my personality I don't know and uh, figuring out ways to um, speak the truth and love and and uh, have your words seasoned but at the same time uh, be contending with others and uh, I think also uh, like you've mentioned having uh, older role models and and uh, older brothers that I love and respect um, that are also also an encouragement to me to say hey you know, we, we really appreciate what you say and what you do and, and things like that. That's, that's also important to do. No, that, wow. That's a great, that's a whole great segment right there. I'm glad you went into it. I've, 
I faced that a little bit uh, growing up as a Middle Eastern kid in the U.S. My grandparents, and so, I mean, very uh, traditional culture. I wouldn't say it's as strong as uh, perhaps what you just described in Korean culture with, you know, being able to. But, like, just there's a respect for for elders. And I think, you know, in the the danger could also be on the other side in the, in this country where older people are pushed aside and younger people in their 20s and 30s think they know everything and so yeah. you know there's got to be a balance and a between the tension of you are called to be a ruling elder and or, or you know an elder on the session which gives you an equal vote but also understand life experience uh these guys may be saying things because they're coming from a, a place of experience that you don't fully understand and so there's got to yeah, be a right. good balance and i think for me, I was always kind of in that position. You know, I, I was hired right out of college to be a manager at, at Procter and Gamble, and I would have I had fifty year olds working for me, and I was twenty three. You know, and they I just saw immediately the skepticism they had. Ugh, another engineer going to tell us what to do? You know, guy, you know, he, he's book smart but has no idea what goes on here. And what I ended up doing was I went on shifts and worked with a lot of the teams. I uh, sat down, had meetings, tried to understand where they were coming from. And when they saw that I wasn't, I was trying to learn from them, but I also had things to offer, you know, to learn that kind of a lesson at the age of 23, just moved on in life. So that when I came on the session at my previous church, you know, I set meetings with some of the older, almost founders of the church, uh, elders, just to show them, like, I want to help me understand where this church has been and, and, you know, give me some advice, and they, they, I think they felt honored by it, but then they also valued my opinion, and so, yeah, I think that's, that, that's a hard thing, and then what I've learned is, you know, that was in South Florida, now I'm in the South, because South Florida is the, is just, you know, a borough of New York, people think I'm, I'm a New Yorker anyway, um, when they were hiring here, they thought I was from New York, uh, I don't, I don't know if I give off New York. My my parents uh, were from Brooklyn, so maybe. But anyway, uh, the, I mean, the South is just is so different. There's a reserved nature of things in meetings, and so I've had to learn again how to, <laughs> you know, what was normal in South Florida and and even in New York. I did go to school in, in New York. I worked in Northern Pennsylvania. There, there's just different. There's cultural differences in how, and I think we need to be wise about how we work with people. Yeah, no, I think I think that's great. You know, there's a there's a, a, a certain brashness or impropriety I think that comes with youth. Yeah, we we definitely need to be careful about that as well. Thinking that hey, I've got it all figured out. Um, I think for me, it was being raised on the other end of that spectrum and and uh, you know learning how to come back towards the uh, the the wise middle um, in that sense. But I also think that um, kind of culturally where we are right now is we think that. When there's debate or when there's um, you know an argument or um, that that it's not well-meaning that it's confrontational that it's um, you know that, that there's malintent there and I think that that shouldn't be perceived that way that we uh, understand again the the, the beauty and, and maybe the genius of Presbyterianism is that um, we out of brotherly love not for not just for each other but for for Christ Church um, you know speak speak up and challenge each other and in, in doing so um, as a group, as a collective, um, do a better job of discerning God's will for, for, for the church.
So the Sabbath is very important to you, as it should be to to all Christians. But I think you know, as a young man, you've, you you uh, have an article on this in the Aquila Report. For you listening on iTunes or something, you're not going to see this. But if you're watching on on YouTube, you will. Can you see that? There it is. There it is. So the Sabbath is vital to Christian religion. It released uh, Monday, December 26th. So listeners can go find that on the Aquila Report. The Sabbath is vital to the Christian religion. Learning to delight in the Sabbath and to see more clearly how it is the straight teaching of Scripture. And so you have a, a, a great article here. I think um, my favorite line, if I can find it, uh, at some point you summarize, Thus the Sabbath is an opportunity for us to experience heavenly bliss through worship. Revelation 5, 13, 19, 6 to 8. Fellowship with other believers. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 to 18. And service to God. Revelation 22, 3. Uh, so just a good word for us. Uh, talk to us a little bit about why this, uh, the fourth commandment and the Sabbath. And, you know, I, I actually prefer to call it just the Lord's Day, but we're connecting it into the com- Ten Commandments because it is. And so why is this so important for you and your ministry and, and kind of what you try to teach people about it? Yeah, and just a note, it's funny that you highlight that passage because I think my favorite passage is the the two sentences that follow right after that. Why don't you read that, by the way? The, the oh, yeah. two so, uh, in, in contrast, by clinging to the things of this world, we make ourselves to be pitiable, living as though we do not have a resurrection hope. By casting aside that which is lawful on other days, we demonstrate that we are eagerly awaiting the life of the world to come rather than desperately clinging to the trifles of this world. I love that. Um, I so, love that. Yeah, I, I think um, part of why, why I love the Sabbath so much is thinking about... Um, you know our our journey from from slavery to the promised land, um, and when when the the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness, there were all this uh, th- there was this reminiscing about the, the the leeks and the melons that they had sitting on the banks <laughs> of the Nile, and you know it's not like there there's anything wrong with leeks and melons. It's more so that uh, thinking about the orientation of the heart and which way it's pointed, right? And so uh, not not not. Um, cutting off our, our desire for leeks and melons because there's something wrong with leeks and melons, but uh, learning to desire them less because we are looking forward to something better that's coming. And, you know, the paragraph that you highlighted, all the wonderful things that God uh, commands us to do and invites us to do on a Sabbath, enjoy fellowship with each other, uh, morning and evening worship um, as we have at Covenant Church, um, have, having a, another family over for a meal, um, just enjoying time together as a family, reading the word uh, and, 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 and things like that. Uh, these are all things that we're going to enjoy together as a church family for eternity. And so to think more and more about what um, we have to look forward to in, in uh, eternity to come than thinking about uh, how are we clinging on to the things that uh, kind of encumber us and, and weigh us down the other six days of the week. There's nothing wrong with, uh, you know, I think the, the language from the Westminster Standards is that which is lawful on other days, right? It's lawful. God allows us to enjoy those things and to do those things like work. Work is a good thing. Uh, but at the same time, work is not what we um, we, we set it aside on, on a Sabbath because of what we have to look forward to. And, and uh, I think by doing so, we uh, declare what our, our, our eternal and resurrection hope is. Um, so, again, as I mentioned, I think it was really at that uh, the OPC up in Massachusetts that 
um, I, I learned a lot more about what uh, what the Reformed teachings on on the Lord's Day and on, on the Sabbath are, and um, grew more into uh, Sabbath keeping and and learning to delight in the Sabbath. And it's not so much that uh, it's it's not so much about figuring out the recipe to keeping the Sabbath per- perfectly. You know, I think I'm 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 fully convicted of the the fact that I'm not going to perfectly keep the Sabbath on this side of heaven. But I think it's um, learning more and more how to prepare myself for heaven and learning more and more uh, the ways in which I'm still clinging to this world. So as I put those things to death, as I uh, mortify my, my own Sabbath breaking, um, to, to learn to delight in the things of God more and more. Um, I think it's Isaiah 58 that says, you know, um, it's, it's not that God is a killjoy. I think I say this somewhere else in the article. It's not that God is, is telling us to keep the Sabbath because he wants us to have uh, a joyless day, but it's actually because he wants us to have a joyful day. He, he knows what, uh, what our hearts should delight in. We should delight in him. And what Isaiah 58 says is we learn to delight in him by uh, stepping aside from the things that we would ordinarily do on uh, other days of the week, uh, you know, going your own way, uh, talking idly, uh, things like that. I can't remember the language from Isaiah 58 exactly, but it's by doing those things, then you shall learn to delight in the day and, and learn to delight in the Lord. Um, so I think um, I, I'm teaching a Sunday school class. You know, we, we talk about teaching Sunday school, um, teaching a Sunday school class on, on the Sabbath right now. And so I had a lot of these thoughts kind of uh, percolating in, in, in the back of my mind and wanted to put it down on on paper and, and, and share it out there. And, you know, hopefully it was an encouragement to, uh, or maybe a, a conviction to whoever it, it, uh, might've come across it. But I think part of it was uh, coming out of the OPC into the PCA. I knew that um, the OPC kept a, a, a stricter view on the Sabbath than uh, the PCA does in uh, allowing for this exception. As I mentioned at the, the beginning, it's probably one, one of two, maybe, if not the most commonly taken exception by officers uh, in the BCA, and I think I think it's a shame because I think um, if we're taking an exception to this, we're taking exception to one of the commandments first of all, uh, and we're also um, excusing ourselves from from learning more and more about how we are continuing in this journey towards the promised land, and you know, think thinking less on uh, the 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 leeks and the melons that we could have delighted in while we were still in slavery, and thinking more about uh, the, the God that we should be delighting in. So I knew that coming out of the OPC that um, the PCA was more uh, accommodating about uh, a broader spectrum of views, let's, let's put it that way, about the Sabbath and um, you know, wrestled with as I started serving as a ruling elder. The more that I read the scriptures and particularly the scriptures that are cited um, in those uh, shorter and larger catechism questions and in the confession of faith, um, the more and more that I was convicted that this is uh, not something that that I um, that I can accommodate because I, I'm now convicted that this is the plain teaching of Scripture and and if it is the plain teaching of Scripture then um, we are uh, standing on dangerous ground if we're allowing exceptions to this so easily because then we're allowing exception to to Scripture as well. Yeah, you know it, it's real definitely countercultural. You know you saw that with what happened on on Christmas Day with a lot of churches canceling worship. I do think it it sets a dangerous precedent. I mean, we we are, the the early church met on the Lord's Day, you know, and and 
most Christians I know say there's still validity to the Ten Commandments. You know, like like thou shalt not murder is evil. You know, and so what do you do with the Fourth Commandment? There has to be a validity to it, and Hebrews four. So we have our Sabbath rest in Christ. Like that has to play out in in the life of the covenant community. And so it ultimately points to, you know, we rest from our works in trying to earn salvation with God. And God gave us a physical reminder of that one one day a week. And it's uh, really a beautiful thing. For listeners, I have a, a longer conversation on this with Darren Stone and I do with Matthew. And we have a whole podcast uh, on Grace to Stand called From Sabbath to Lord's Day. That you can listen to, and there's about a 12-minute segment with Matthew in that podcast. Also, I'll link in the show notes to his article here uh, in the Aquila Report. Any final thoughts on the Sabbath as we move to? Oh, it's it's a great episode. I'll put a plug in for it. You know, not just <laughs> the, the 12 minutes that uh, that you put my audio there. Probably the worst 12 minutes. I just really appreciated your conversation with Darren, and I think there's there's so much wisdom and, and thoughtfulness in, in um, how you guys approached it. Um, but I also appreciated what you said about uh, making the comparison to like murder, for example. Right? Um, is I think the Westminster Divines called the Ten Commandments as the moral law a perpetual binding commandment for people in all ages, right? And so it's not that we've done away with the moral law because we're the New Testament church now. It was wrong to murder back in the Old Testament, and no one's surprised by this. It's still wrong to murder uh, for us in the New Testament church. And uh, for whatever reason, we don't treat adultery this way. We don't treat murder this way, but we we love to treat uh, the Sabbath this way, even though it's right there next to the other ones. Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Um, if you scroll down the last paragraph of the next section, I kind of touched on that idea a little bit. Why don't you read um, it so our, the listeners can, yeah. can uh, they won't see it. So maybe go ahead and read it. If our obedience to God's commandments is limited to what we feel is reasonable, we are in danger of creating a God in the image of our reason or sensibilities, but not mm. worshiping the God of the Bible. And I think, you know, I, I certainly used to do this, and I think there are a lot of ways in which I'm still doing this. I didn't write this article to say, I keep the Sabbath perfectly, and I expect everyone else to as well. I did this because I said, I'm, I'm learning so much about the Sabbath and learning to delight in it more and more. And I think this was a, a big point for me to think, um, I used to think murder is one thing, but the Sabbath is another thing. But that was appealing to my reason to say that I think one is worse than the other when... If I truly believe that God is sovereign as king over my life and that the the word of God has authority, then the word of God speaks equally authoritatively to murder as it does to the Sabbath. And I think that's, you know, one of the reasons why uh, it was uh, on my heart to write this. Um, you mentioned the uh, the the, um, the study I did. I just mentioned a, a, a really encouraging conversation I had with a school leader recently uh, who I think was one of the school leaders that filled out the surveys that went out for that um, that study. And she said, you know, we used to have uh, a weekly progress report that was an automated email that went out on Sunday afternoons. And when I filled out that survey that you, you sent about, does our school have policies to help protect the Sabbath for our families? I realized that we could be doing more. And, and she actually moved that automated email from Sunday to Thursday. Mm. Um, and I, I, I was just so encouraged by that, um, that you know, brief conversation to be like, wow, you were really thoughtful about, uh, you know, a, a lot of people I think are, are pretty mindless about filling out surveys that just, you know, click, 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 click after a while. And here she is being really thoughtful about what she's reading and, ch and chewing on it. And not only that, now 
um, affecting change in her school. Um, and I think hopefully uh, the, the school will start to see some fruit from that as well. Well, I, I loved, I, I love, I'm glad you brought up your study. We could put a link to that also. Uh, it, what I, one of the, the factors I loved is, you know, you sh it showed a correlation between those who uh, observe the Sabbath. And again, everybody's idea of that might be different, but somebody who says I observe it has a concept of what that looks like. Having lower levels of stress reported on some scale. But what I liked even more is those people were more apt to try to help others honor the Lord's day by not assigning homework, those teachers right. and not giving things over the weekend. And it really goes to the commandment where it says, you know, not only are you not to work, but the, the, the sojourner in your boundaries, your servants, your animals. In other words, everybody gets a rest. And I think this is an area that Christians can do better. It's like, it's not just about you observing the day of rest, but how do your activities cause others uh, to have to work on, on the Lord's day. And, yeah. you know, I hear this argument quite often about, well, they, they're working anyway, whether I go there or not. And it's like, but it didn't used to be that way in this country. You know, it used to be most things were closed on Sundays. And I think that was better for society. And so, um, you know, there are pragmatic and practical reasons for this, but first and foremost, it's about loving and honoring our Lord and uh but i'll also say to people who agree with what matthew and i are saying we also have to let let's do this lovingly because i'm just reminded um you know with how we talk about this i want to pitch a, a good a better vision for it so that the covenant community will you know honor the lord in this way and, and, and in that way be a light to the world around us but a lot of the the barbs and arrows that I see being thrown, you know, it doesn't escape me when I read the New Testament that Christ challenged the Pharisees on the Sabbath almost more than anything else. I, I haven't done a yeah. real analysis on that, but he went out of his way to do things on the Sabbath that they were saying they that people couldn't do that weren't in the law. And I do think we, as particularly Reformed Christians, have to be very careful of that. If if it was that serious for Christ to make it a point. <laughs> <laughs> then we we need to allow some freedom in this regard while still challenging people to a beautiful vision of what the Lord could have for us on this day if we really honored it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to that first point that you said about um, teachers kind of being thoughtful about how they could pass on the blessings uh, to their students, Larger Catechism 118, the charge of keeping the Sabbath is more specially directed to governors of families and other superiors because they are bound not only to keep it themselves, but to see that it be observed by all those that are under their charge and because they are prone oft times to hinder them by employments of their own. So I would say that includes, that includes pastors and ruling elders, that includes teachers and thinking about the students under their charge and, and how they could be uh, better, better spending their time on Sundays and things like that. That's awesome. Um, and then with respect to your point about um, doing this in a loving way. Yeah. I couldn't, couldn't agree more about that. Um, I think, um, Jesus challenged the Pharisees because they added to uh, the commandment of Scripture. They added additional commandments. They added their traditions. And I think our legalistic tendencies to add uh, to what the, what the Bible teaches about the Sabbath is uh, a comfort to our our own legalism because I think we think if we come up with the exact recipe for what Sabbath keeping looks like, then I can 
make sure I check off all the boxes and do it perfectly on a week-to-week basis. Again, I think we're not going to perfectly keep the Sabbath on this side of heaven. I th- I think what I would want to encourage people to think about is how can I delight in the Sabbath more? How can I delight in God more? How can I delight in God's people more next week and next week and next week and learn to do you know, to 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 be purer about my my Sabbath keeping on a week to be week basis and not thinking about um how I'm perfectly doing it to, to earn my own righteousness. You know, that flies in the face of uh, what we read in Hebrews 4 about we enter that rest that, you know, that Christ has already uh, fulfilled, uh, his righteousness has already fulfilled the law for us. And Amen. so resting in his uh, finished work is not about then making sure that I've got all my my pharisaical checklists about uh, the Sabbath done to a T so that I can pat myself on the back and say, look at how good I am at Sabbath keeping. It's about It's about the orientation of the heart again. Are we facing towards... Uh, heaven are we facing towards the promised land and, and looking forward with great anticipation towards uh, the eternity that's coming towards us at the same time I would also say it's still a commandment and so we shouldn't belittle that right. and and say you know let, let's just ignore it or or um, you know wherever people are that's fine well, let's let's grow in it let's uh, let's mature in it let's delight in it even more and more each week and we get 53 Lord's days this year I I know I know and I, I guess as we wrap up this segment, on the Sabbath, just I'll give my plug for churches to consider turning off their live stream. And, uh, you know, don't get angry with me for saying that. Um, I know some are gonna, (laughs) some in my camp are gonna, because whenever, but you know, it doesn't, 2016 had Christmas on Sunday and the, I I saw a statistic. I I forget what group did it, but I mean, that's just a few years ago, and more churches this year closed than in 2016. Mm-hmm. And I, I really believe it's a result of the 2020 COVID with the live stream, which we streamed for, for a year also, but we've had it shut off now for, for two years because yeah. people worshiping, quote-unquote, worshiping in their underwear while drinking coffee in their living room is not corporate worship. And, you know, I've heard the argument from a lot of churches that say, well, our shut-ins are watching it. And in my experience, the shut-ins are not tech-savvy enough to be to, to tune into a live stream. And that's not all of them. But I also wonder at what detriment are we allowing people to wake up and say, ah, I'm not going to go today, I'm going to stream. I mean, as elders, we are providing that opportunity. And uh, I ju- I'm just asking. I'm not judging you. I, most churches are doing it. Most churches in, of people in my camp are doing it. So do not hear it as judgment. Just hear it as sort of something to think about. And uh, and what I would say is we, we load our sermons online about an hour after the worship service. So uh, we're not against technology of worship being online, but we are trying not to, at least at our church, not to allow people to think they've done corporate worship because they've watched it in their living room. Um, I think you. I think you make some great points, and uh, I, I really uh, appreciate what you have to say there. And uh, I'll refrain from saying more. <laughs> yeah, I know that's my own little hobby horse and plug. Um, Matthew is not advocating that on this. So uh, I, let, let's. Uh, I kind of don't like to go too much longer, but I would want to talk a little bit about overtures, and I'll pull up your your work on that. Um, so you are a researcher, a statistician, uh, and you've been tracking these overtures this year. 
And yeah, so, so data visualization is a great way to communicate research to uh, folks who are maybe less familiar with research or research, research methods. And uh, also as a ruling elder, I think uh, it's a responsibility of ruling elders to stay informed on issues that are facing not only their churches, but the, uh, the church at large, the Presbyterian Church in America. So, uh, you know, th those two things kind of came together as I started paying attention to uh, some of the sexuality overtures that have gone through the presbyteries this year, and they're still going through, uh, I'm sorry, last year, and as they're still going through this year. Uh, and so just started plotting um, to, to keep track really for myself and, and, and to keep my, my pastors informed on what I was doing about, okay, how's, how's the vote going? How are the presbyteries voting? Um, and so I, I uh, started doing these scatter plots, which are really simple uh, graphs, but at the same time, you can get a lot of uh, insights very, very quickly from looking at a scatter plot. So um, what a scatter plot like this is, is on one axis, you plot uh, a, a vote from uh, one year and the, on, on the other axis, you plot the vote from the uh, from from another year. And so in this particular figure on the uh, X axis, that's the horizontal axis on the bottom is uh, each each presbytery, which uh, each presbytery is represented by a dot. Uh, what percent of their vote went in favor of Overture 23 last year. And then on the y-axis, that's the vertical axis on the left, is that same presbytery, uh, what percentage of their vote went in favor of Overture 15 this year. And then you have that red line there, that red diagonal line. Uh, any presbyteries that are right on that line would have voted exactly the same way on Overture 23 last year as they did uh, on Overture 15 this year as they did on Overture 23 last year. Um, and so uh, a couple things you can notice and pick up pretty quickly by looking at a scatter plot, even without uh, going through all the details, is you can start to see, um, is, is, is the vote really shifting? Is there like a lot more popularity on uh, something relative to how folks voted on it last year? And what we're seeing right now with uh, Overture 15 uh, is that uh, it's, it's looking kind of similar to Overture 23 from last year. Uh, we're going to have a lot of presbyteries vote in, in January and February, and so we'll start to get a better sense of uh, where this thing is going. But so far, it's looked like um, the, the way a presbytery voted from uh, on, on Overture 23 last year is, is very, uh, very likely indicative of how they're going to vote on Overture 15 this year. Few exceptions, of course, uh, and that's where the, the quadrants come in, in handy. Uh, so the quadrant on the top left where you see those green dots would be presbyteries that voted down 23 last year and voted up on 15 this year. Uh, and that includes uh, my presbytery, Hills and Plains, uh, uh, failed 23 last year uh, by a, a slim margin and passed 15 this year by slim margin. Uh, and then the bottom right quadrant with the, the red dots would be the opposite, the presbyteries that passed 23 last year and then uh, failed 15 this year. And so uh, 23, uh, since we're on this figure, failed uh, by, uh, if, if it had passed in four more presbyteries, it would have gone forward to General Assembly to vote on to amend uh, the BCO. And so if Overture 15 is going to pass, we would need to see uh, four more green dots than we see red dots. People thought, well, if Overture 23 failed, why would Overture 15 pass this year? And what you see is if three presbyteries changed their vote from Overture 23 last year to Overture 15 this year in the positive, which is shocking. And Matthews was one of those. And, I, and uh, again, just to 
plug the ruling elder side of it. I mean, he came up with a lot of persuasive arguments that he had passed around. His his own voters from his church used it, and I believe it was used uh, in the presbytery spe- floor speeches. But then it got I, – I ended up seeing – your write-up on Overture 15 through another group unrelated to you where it got shared. So thank you for your work on that. Um, But you see two red dots there. That means two presbyteries that had passed Overture 23 last year have failed Overture 15 this year. So if you don't understand this graph at all, just look at the, the red dots and the green dots. There's three green dots and two red dots. And so, as Matthew said, there needs to be a, a, at least four more green dots than red dots. <laughs> Did I get that right? Yeah, yeah, you got exactly right. Yeah. So you could you could get all those insights really quickly just by looking at a, a scatter plot. Yeah. Like this. Um, yeah, I really appreciated. I guess you were you on Aldo's podcast or was he on your podcast recently? I was on his. You were on his. Yeah, I really appreciated your comments there, uh, talking about the differences between fifteen and twenty nine and how. Um, even though 29 is, is passing a lot of Presbyteries with, you know, uh, flying flying colors, and it, it's looking like it's going to hit that two-thirds mark pretty easily and therefore go uh, on the floor of General Assembly uh, come this summer. Um, there are – you raise the question as to whether or not it is actually going to bring about unity in the PCA because there are people who are voting in favor of 29 who still disagree on the issue at hand. Uh, which says that actually it's it's not going to um, uh, help uh, promote the purity of the of the PCA, and it's not going to promote the unity of the PCA. And I think even though Overture 15 is a, a much tighter, much more contested vote, um, I I personally like the language of 15 a lot better because it speaks very clearly to the issue at hand, which is I think probably the most important issue facing the PCA right now, um, and um, brings about uh, more clarity on the issue than, than 29 does or 31 does. Um, and so I, I think you maybe even advocated for voting in favor of 15 and against 29 on that, that episode. I don't remember. If yeah. I'll change your views on. Yeah. That. I'll, I'll, I'll actually link that in. Cause we're not like, if you're not up on the overture discussion, I'll give you a, a episode to listen to. I don't, I don't want to do that all over now, but it, yeah. Over, overture 29, what I did in that episode was uh, I was on all those podcasts, Gospel on Tap, which is changing to Kingdom Polemics, <laughs> but you can find it as Gospel on Tap. But I basically go through Overture 29 and show either from the BCO or the Westminster Standards where all the language comes from. And somebody might say, well, that's great. It, it fits with our Constitution. And my point is, why do we need a BCO amendment? that just adds to our constitution what is already in our constitution and what that does is it gives the signal to people that what's in the westminster standards isn't good enough it needs to now show up in our book of church order and that's just not true so all the statements in overture 29 on indwelling sin and progressive sanctification are great statements and i'll just say they're already in our confession and so Overture 15 very clearly deals with the issue that we're seeing. Uh, Overture 29, you have guys on both sides of of the issue agreeing with what Overture 29 says, which says it doesn't deal with the issue we're having. Really well said, George. I I, uh, agree heartily with what you Mm -hmm. said. And I think, um, you know, 
uh, Overture 15 is amending BCO Chapter 7, if I remember correctly. And I think that's totally the appropriate place for the amendment to be, because I think the last time the BCO uh, Chapter 7 was amended to say, no, the PCA will be a church that only ordains men. And so... Um, the, uh, the, the the chapter seven is a chapter that has already spoken to uh, who exactly is qualif who qualifies uh, for the office of teaching elder in the PCA, and so I think you know over and against uh, arguments on that point that it's in the wrong spot in the BCO. I think yeah, this is absolutely the right spot. Yeah, yeah. So again, I'll put links in the show notes. I really didn't intro this segment well. I should have had the overtures up, but it's. Um, I think we're all kind of getting uh, fatigue over the overtures. It is interesting. We've picked up one presbytery from last year, and so we need we need three more. Well, we got cut off for a while there, as such is technology. And so at any rate, I think we were cut off in the middle of the overture discussion. If you're not familiar with the overtures, like I said in, in those segments, I'll put uh, some links in the show notes so that you can see them. But Matthew, once again, great conversation. Uh, just what are some final thoughts for younger guys in the PCA? And also, I liked what you said that probably got cut off about uh, the responsibility to stay informed. It is, as you said, the responsibility of ruling elders to stay informed on issues that are facing the PCA. Uh, that's, that's how we um, shepherd and protect the flock. And uh, there are a lot of great resources out there to do so. Obviously, uh, I'm very appreciative of, of this resource that you're putting out there for uh, for ruling elders. But then uh, your other podcast, Grace to Stand with uh, Darren Stone, is a great great resource as well. I've uh, appreciated hearing a lot of those episodes. Uh, we mentioned uh, Aldo Leon's podcast, uh, Kingdom Polemics. Uh, there's uh, the Aquila Report that we've pulled up and uh, Presbycast and... Um, uh, the Gospel Reformation Network, which uh, puts out conferences and also has a newsletter with uh, articles and things like that. So a lot of great resources where uh, a lot of uh, godly faithful men are putting out um, uh, articles and, and podcasts and things like that to, to stay informed on what's going on. And so I would just enc encourage uh, my fellow ruling elders to, to make use of those resources to stay informed and involved with, with what's going on in the PCA. Yeah, good word. Thank you. And if you're uh, a, a, a seasoned, older ruling elder, uh, be on the lookout for young guys in your churches to disciple, to take to breakfast, to help um, as you see gifts in them. Let them co-lead Bible studies with you and co-teach Sunday school with you and, and be developing the next generation. So both uh, Matthew and myself uh, are products of that. You know, I, I probably wouldn't be a pastor today if it wasn't for my pastor in South Florida, TJ Campo, for giving me those, op those opportunities at the age of, of 32 um, and then eventually being a, a ruling elder at, at 35. And so um, that's how the church is going to continue. You need the, the church's leadership. Of course, we know Jesus Christ doesn't need us, but he does use us, and um, he raises up leaders within the church, so be on the lookout for him. Well, Matt, I, I hope to see you at General Assembly. I know that that's up in the air for you, but it's a little closer. And uh, we'll definitely have you on again. I always love our conversations. Uh, you're a smart guy I learn from. And, I, and, and very conversant, so it, it's been good. Well, this is another episode of the Presbyterian Reformed Churchman. Until next time, we'll see you then. <laughs>